couple of months ago, I blew out my hamstring. And I'm a couple of months into physical therapy now, and it's finally getting better, and I'm really glad. But when I did it, you know, you think that you can count on your friends for support, not so much. Because I was telling people that I blew out my hamstring, and almost to a person, after I said, I, I blew out my hamstring, it's really painful, almost to a person they said, well, you're not in your 20s anymore. And I'm like, not the point, not the point. The point isn't how old I am, the point is that I injured myself. At least now it's getting better. So often, it's easy to grab onto something that might be true, but isn't really the main point. And that has kind of happened with the book that we're going to look at in the Old Testament today. The story is about Jonah and the whale. Now, like many of you, the first time I ever heard Jonah and the whale, I'm quite sure it was in children's church or in Sunday school, and it involved a flannel graph. If you don't know what a flannel graph is, they were just amazing teaching aids, very, very low tech. It was basically a piece of cardboard with flannel on it, and then you had cute little characters like in this slide that you put up as you told the story. And so I'm sure that's how I first heard the story. And the story was that God told the prophet Jonah that he needed to go to Nineveh to preach to the people there, and Jonah didn't want to go. So instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah got in a boat and went off on the sea in the other direction. But God sent a big storm, and Jonah knew that the storm was because of him, and so he had the sailors throw him overboard, and as soon as they did, then the storm was calm, and God sent a whale to swallow Jonah. So Jonah was swallowed by the whale, and he was in the belly of the whale for three days, where he prayed to God and told God that he was sorry that he didn't do what God told him to do. And so because Jonah was sorry, the whale threw him up on the beach, which when you're five years old is the best part of the story. Whales vomiting just sounds like too much fun. He vomits Jonah up on the beach, and Jonah goes and preaches to Nineveh. And the moral of the story is we should always do what God tells us to do. Now, here's the thing. It's a really good idea to always do what God tells you to do, but that's not the point of the book of Jonah. There's one other thing that isn't the point of the book of Jonah, but it's what everyone thinks of. It's what? The whale. The real point of Jonah gets completely lost because the biggest issue in the story is, can someone really be swallowed by a whale? And if you are swallowed by a whale, how do you breathe for three days? Wouldn't you be digested by the stomach acid and just, you know, pass through the digestive system? I mean, how can that happen? And that's what people get fixated on in the book of Jonah. And here's the problem with stuff like that in the Bible. The whale gets us in trouble because, well, if it wasn't really a whale, then it must have been a big fish. And if it was a big fish, then we need to figure out what kind of fish it might have been. 
Because if we can't prove that a fish could swallow a person, then that means that the story is false, and if the story is false, then the Bible is false. So we spend an awful lot of time trying to find a picture of a scuba diver with his head inside of a Goliath grouper. Or we look for the video on YouTube of the kayakers who are almost swallowed by a humpback whale. Or that unfortunate lobster man who was apparently swallowed by a whale and then split back, spit back out again. And then you've got to do research to find out which whale or which big fish has a gullet capacity for a person to go through. And the next thing you know, you've spent hours, lots of times, trying to defend a fact that some dude got swallowed by a whale and lived in it for three days that we don't realize that what we've done is actually lost the main point of the story. So we know that there's an elephant in the room with Jonah. Well, okay, there's a whale in the room with Jonah. And there's no scholarly consensus whatsoever. People are all over the board of whether this was true, whether it's midrash, whether it's metaphor, whether it's parable. There's just arguments that can be made for all of those things. So let's go with what we know, not with what we don't. We know that it's God's word. And we know that God has a point in sharing the story with us. So let's work with what we know. For starters, the book of Jonah is fairly unique. Most books of the prophets are a collection of the sayings, the prophecies of the prophets. Jonah isn't. Jonah is the story of what happened to a prophet. And we know that Jonah is historical. We know that he lived in the 8th or 9th century BC because he's mentioned in 2 Kings 14.23, the only other time, and that's historically what that period is. But since it's a story, it also opens it up to some possibilities because there are lots of types of stories. For instance, one type of story that Jesus used a lot was parables. And parables had an important theological truth, but most of them were not actually historical. And take, for instance, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable of the Good Samaritan doesn't lose any of its power because it didn't really happen. So maybe Jonah being swallowed by the whale or the great fish or whatever it might be, maybe it's a parable. It's a story with a point. And the point of the book of Jonah doesn't lose any of its power if it isn't historical. So what is the point of the story? Well, I'm glad you asked. And so to get to the point of the story, let me tell you the story again. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and it says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that point. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So the beginning of the story is that the sinfulness of Nineveh, which is the capital of the Syrian Empire, it's just located here on the slide, which you can now see, um, has risen to God. And sin, like we discussed last week, is really, really important to God. So he notices this, which means he must have some plan or purpose. So we'll have to wait and see what God has up his sleeve. But he says to Jonah, go and preach against them. And I want you to hold on to that. Because what he doesn't say is go and tell them to repent. He just says, preach against them. You know, you guys are horrible sinners. So this is all he tells Jonah to do. Jonah doesn't want to do this, and so Jonah runs away. 
He goes down to the seaport and he books passage on a ship that's going to Tarshish. I showed you the slide of where uh, Nineveh is. I can't show you the slide of where Tarshish is because nobody knows. People think it might have even been as far away as Spain, but it is the opposite direction. And Jonah flees from the Lord. And the important part about this is that when Jonah is running the other way and going to Tarshish, he thinks that he can actually get away from God. And let's spend a minute with that. What does it mean if Jonah thinks he can get away with God? Well, I think what it must have meant was that Jonah thought that Yahweh, which is God's personal name, was a tribal God, that he was the God of Israel. And if you get out of Israel, then there are other gods, and every country has their own God. Pretty typical understanding of that time. And if you can get out of Israel, if you can go as far away as Tarshish, then you are away from God. So if Yahweh is just a tribal God, if he's just Israel's God, then you can get away from him. But here's the enormous question that the book is asking right up front. Is God just the God of Israel? Or is he the God of the world? Because if he's the God of the world, that has certain implications. And that's getting us closer to what the book is all about. So Jonah gets on board the boat and God sends a storm. And it's a terrible storm. And it says at one point that the sailors tried to row back, which means they weren't that far away. But the storm was so bad that they couldn't run away. And the sailors, being fairly religious people, chasing after the gods of their own particular nation, began to pray to figure out who it was. And they finally cast lots to decide who it might be. And the lot fell on Jonah, who was asleep down in the hold of the boat. And I love this, uh, this section of scripture that it says, the sailors knew that Jonah was running away from God because he had already told them that. So I just imagine that was really interesting. So who are you, where are you from? I'm Jonah, I'm running away from God. Okay, and now I'm gonna go take a nap. So the storm comes up and they're like, this, this must be Jonah. So they go down and they wake him up and they say, how can you be sleeping? You need to pray to your God. And Jonah has this moment of clarity and is like, I know this is because of me that God apparently is the God of the land and the sea. And so he says to the sailors, throw me overboard. Well, most of the time that's kind of a throwaway line. We don't pay much attention to that. What Jonah is asking them to do is kill me and then you'll all be safe. Jonah is so dead set against wanting to go to Nineveh. He's like, I would rather be dead so just throw me overboard. And that's the only thing that makes sense of the way that the sailors go. God, forgive us. We don't want to do this thing. And finally, they realize that they don't have a choice. And so they throw Jonah overboard. And Jonah, I think, is probably holding his breath, trying to last as long. And I don't think anyone is more surprised than Jonah is that all of a sudden he gets swallowed by this great fish. And there's really only two verses that talk about the whale, which is why it tells me that that's not really the point. In verse 117, it says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And at the end of chapter 2, it says, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the, the dry land. And what comes in between those two fairly small mentions about a fish is a prayer. It's a poem that Jonah composes because 
apparently he's got three days and three nights without much to do in relatively close quarters. And so Jonah prays this prayer, which is somewhat reminiscent of Psalm 30 and a couple of other Psalms. What's interesting is that Jonah never really apologizes. He doesn't say he's sorry about running away from God or sorry for not being obedient to God. But you get the impression that Jonah somewhat softens to the idea of doing this. And so the fish spits Jonah up on the land and the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time, says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. And so Jonah goes and it makes a note about how big Nineveh is that takes three days to get across and says that Jonah goes in about a day's journey in and preaches this really bare bones and sort of lackluster message. In fact, in Hebrew, it's really only four words. It basically is 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown, which tells me that Jonah's heart still isn't in it because he could have worked a little bit harder at the message. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Half-hearted preaching. But then this crazy thing happens. The people listen to him and they repent with just that bare bones message. He doesn't explain who told them. He doesn't explain what's gonna happen. He doesn't preach a salvation message. He just tells them 40 days and you're gonna be overturned. And so people take this seriously and they get into sackcloth and ashes and they repent. And the word finally gets to the king, this bare bones prophetic message, and the king repents. In chapter three, verse seven, it says, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. They respond. They repent. And I love that line, who knows? Maybe God will show us compassion instead. Which tells me that the repentance must have been uh, sincere because of the humility that's shown here, even by the king. The desire to own the fact that they have been wicked giving up their evil ways, giving up their violence, they repent. And how does that happen? I mean, how does anybody repent? Well, I think the Holy Spirit was already at work here. What? The Holy Spirit at life, in, at work in the lives of the Assyrians, some of the nastiest people on the face of the earth? That just can't be. But apparently it was because they take this thing seriously. And in verse 10, it says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So they repent and it changes the course of their history. God, who is going to put judgment on them instead, gives them mercy. And that is good news here for them on so many levels except that it really makes Jonah mad. And Jonah goes off on this rant, which is recorded in chapter four. To Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. 
Jonah just puts all of his cards on the table. That's why I ran away. That's why I didn't follow you, because I didn't want you to show mercy to the Assyrians. Well, that's the type of thing that you might say in your heart, but it's not the type of thing most people would say out loud. He hates them so deeply that he did not want to tell them that God is compassionate and loving and relents from sending calamity on his people. He would rather die. Jonah's like, I hate this. These people are terrible. They deserve to die. If they're going to live, I would rather die. And while Jonah is having this temper tantrum, while he's in the middle of this really ugly fit of anger, God, in what I think must have been a very gentle voice, says, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah says, yes. So Jonah goes out and he sits on a hill that overlooks the city on a bench and it says that he waits for what's going to happen. I, I think what Jonah is hoping is that God changes his mind and goes ahead and sends fire and brimstone and wipes them out anyway. And Jonah wants to be there to see it. So it says that because it's hot there, that um, God caused a plant to grow up and it provided shade for Jonah. So Jonah was fairly comfortable waiting for the destruction of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people and all of their cattle. And then it says that the next day, God sends a worm and the worm eats the plant and the plant withers and dies. And this makes Jonah so mad. And so he starts to get uh, all bent out of shape again and starts to complain to God about how difficult his life is and God is gracious and now he doesn't have this comfortable seat to sit in to watch the destruction. And God says again in verse 9, I think in a very calm voice, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah, in not a calm voice, says, it is. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. And, and this is maybe the highlight of the ridiculousness of the story, Jonah is all whacked out about this vine. He's uncomfortable waiting and watching for the destruction of all these people. His biggest concern is not that hundreds of thousands of people might be annihilated. His biggest concern is that he's uncomfortable as he waits for that. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left, and also many animals? God asks him the question, you cared about a dumb plant. Shouldn't I care about 120,000 people? And this is one of the other places in the Bible where it also mentions all of the animals that they're supposed to care for also. Shouldn't I care about all these people and all of these animals? And then the book ends with this unanswered question that is just floated out into the East ether. Shouldn't I care? And what does that tell me? This tells me that that's the point of the book. The point of the book is the question that was posed to Jonah, but is really there for all of us to answer. Shouldn't God care? I mean, I get it. There are terrible people. There are people who would harm us if they could. There are people who maybe have hurt you deeply. I get that. 
But just how far should the grace of God extend? And here's the funny thing about grace. It's hard to limit. It extends to us. And sometimes we can't believe that God would forgive us for what we've done, but he does. And sometimes we get so used to grace that we forget that there was a time before we knew it. And sometimes we hold people to a different standard than we would hold ourselves and don't want to see them get the grace that we did. We love John 3, 16 and 17. We love how God sends his only begotten son into the world, that the world should be saved through him. He didn't send his son into the world, condemn it, but to save it. But we struggle with the application. So in your way of thinking, who's beyond the grace of God? In Jonah's way of thinking, it was the Ninevites. Who for you might be beyond the grace of God? And then there's this other little point in the story. Is anyone beyond hope? I mean, nobody would have ever guessed that the Ninevites would repent. Nobody would have ever thought that they were turned from their wicked ways. And yet when they got the chance, they did. Nobody would have guessed. Is anyone that you can think of someone that you think is beyond hope? Because maybe they're not. So the big question is, is God the God of everybody or just us? Is God's grace for everybody or just us? Does God's grace forgive only our sins or does God's grace forgive everyone's sin? Are we not beyond hope, but other people are? That's the real point of the book of Jonah for us to answer the question. So these are stories of origin. What do we learn from this? We learn that God is the God of everyone, not just us. We learn that we have to be careful about how we view other people. We learn that it might surprise us who will respond to Jesus. We learn that sometimes we get focused on our personal plan and comfort and miss what God is doing. We learn that nobody is beyond the grace of God. So let me ask you three questions. In what area of your life has God said, go, and you've said, no? Number two, if you had three days and three nights with no distractions, how do you think God might change you? And number three, what does this story tell you about what is important to God?